an English and a Mexican. <laughs> or an Irish a, woman and a Mexican. A, yeah. yeah, I suppose it's sitting in, a, in an apartment in America. Mm-hmm. Multicultural right there. And like, I think for now we're together, but usually I'm in Mexico. Oh yeah, usually we'll be recording this. Maybe a few episodes will be here in LA, but then it'll be then in we'll Mexico. Be, then we'll be across oceans. At some point you have to come to Mexico. Yeah, I was going to come to Mexico, but didn't recently. Can I just say also before we start, this feels very weird, um, as Adrian was saying earlier before we pressed record, the modern way is pretending to have a private conversation, yeah. <laughs> recording it for other people to listen to. In a to. public way, yeah. In a public way. That's very absurd. Yeah, it's there's something very eerie about talking to you, looking at you, and then like just holding a microphone. I know, I feel like a real idiot. Somebody, something else is being added here. Yeah, I know it's us. another dimension. We're also talking about um, inside voice and outside voice. Maybe that's something very English. You kind of repress your personal thoughts yeah. in favor of um, being polite in the public realm. I think that isn't this isn't isn't our mics like the big other right now? Yeah, it is. I know it's funny because I feel like I'm being watched, but no one is recording yeah. us. It, it feels very <laughs> it's strange. very weird. We should also add that the you, pair you of should, us are extreme yeah. introverts. People should, we're being very brave right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. We should be given a medal of courage for recording a private, com- well, actually, it's not a private conversation. I'm very confused right now. I feel I feel like uh, having a slightly out-of-body experience when we're doing this. <laughs> anyway, we should probably, we should probably um, start talking about what this is yep. that you are listening to and who we are. Sounds good to me. So this is a podcast that we are going to call Estranged, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, we were talking about potentially some other names, but Estranged is a good name, and Adrian came up with that, so congratulations. Yeah, and it's also, you know, it's Estranged, but it's also with the parentheses, just strange. Strange. And we think it's a good sort of uh, representation of being a millennial. Yes, we are, we are. Being estranged from culture, being estranged financially, but also we're going to be talking about film, right? Yes, so we are slightly ripping off our favorite father figure daddy Zizek oh yeah (laughs) um, uh, looking at film not from a critical or artistic perspective necessarily but using a film per episode to launch a conversation into ideology um kind of looking at things from a slightly more philosophical perspective and how contemporary ideology is reflected in the technology that is film yeah and there's basically two types of film right there's ones that are within ideology mm-hmm. and then others that are representing ideology yes. straightforward. Yes. And I feel, I mean, this first film that we're going to talk about, and before we talk about it, we'll talk about a bit more what our motivation is for having these conversations and looking at film in this way and what doesn't qualify us to have an opinion yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. about about this field. Um, but the film we're going to talk about today is so unbelievably ideological within ideology within ideology and so a lot of the films we're going to talk about aren't necessarily artistically incredible uh aren't necessarily noteworthy films some of them will be um but we will talk about we talk a lot about a lot of crap films just because we're looking at them purely from an ideological perspective sure what they contain in their way of being 
Yeah, and I think we'll probably be using, I mean, we're not like uh, philosophy experts mm -hmm. or psychoanalysis experts, but uh, we'll, you know, we're, I think we're both interested in that type of work. Mm -hmm. So we'll try our best to yes. have like Hegelian readings, Freudian yeah. readings, all that, all that jazz. Yes. So we are, we're coming from a kind of continental philosophical perspective. We are both unqualified Absolutely. in those realms, but we like reading in that vein. Yeah. We like, uh, we would have better things to do if we were qualified, probably. Yeah, probably. I <laughs> actually, yeah. uh, yes, uh, pay us to write a book or something, but that's not going to happen. So we come from, I guess one would call it, I mean, it starts off with Hegel, then goes through Freud, then Lacan, then yeah. possibly the Slovenian school. Um, we like, I mean, it's funny, one of our, um, actually one of the reasons why we decided to uh, take a go at doing this is because we both enjoy a podcast called Red Scare. Oh yeah. And uh yes, it is very fun and we perhaps have a similar perspective uh in some ways and not in others. It's somewhere in, I would say it's somewhere in between Y theory and Red Scare, but Red Scare is too chaotic <laughs> and maybe Y theory is too PC. Yes, we aren't. Um well, well, we can we can gradually reveal our position yeah. as we go. But um, the reason why I raise the Red Scare thing is that they have, I guess they call them godparents of their podcast. And I believe theirs are Michelle Welbeck, Slavoj Žižek and Camille Pallia. And I haven't really thought about who ours would be, but... Just Shijek. Just Shijek. <laughs> yes, just Shijek. No, yeah, well, probably I'm... some other people as well that we both mute, share a mutual admiration of. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think Todd McGowan probably fits in yes, there somewhere. Yes, yes. Um, I really like his work. Yes. Probably Alenka Zapanchich too with her new stuff. Yes. And especially her what new book. Sex. I think it's very yes. interesting. So, I mean, there's, there's somebody else whose living room we are in at the moment who is also very influential. Yeah, yes. definitely. Um, yeah, Peter. Peter, yes. <laughs> Just Peter. No, Just Peter, Peter. Rollins. Uh, yes. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's good that he left. Yeah, now there's, we can there's, bitch about him behind his back. <laughs> there's this story of uh, that Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve was yeah. uh, shooting, uh, what was his last movie? Uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yes. And Ridley Scott shot the first one. Yes. So that Scott went to the film set of the new Blade Runner. Yeah. And that Denis was like shooting and he yeah. was like in the camera. He was behind the camera. Mm -hmm. And then Scott was behind Villeneuve, just like yeah. looking into him. Yeah. And uh, he asked him, uh, Villeneuve asked Scott, like, think of your favorite, one of your favorite directors. Which yeah. one is it? And uh, he was like, well, I, th I like Hitchcock. I mm -hmm. think it was, I think he said Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. And then he said, well, how would you feel if Hitchcock was just like standing right behind mm -hmm. you looking at your work mm -hmm. and and he understood and then scott left yeah uh that would have been horrible Ooh, if Peter was here yes. <laughs> well i don't know i feel like we're in friendly enough terms that i don't care if he yeah. likes it or he doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. It's different. um but yeah so those are kind of maybe our references and i think if anybody is listening to us they might also share interests in those people mm -hmm. um yes and then also we were going to, before we actually launched into a discussion of this, today's film, I was going to say this week, but we're probably going to be recording lots yeah. in a burst, not in week on week. Yeah, we'll do a few. We'll do a few. Um, 
talking about why now? Why are we doing this podcast in 2019? And then later we'll, after we've answered that question, perhaps say who we are and why we are eminently unqualified to talk yeah. about this topic. So why are we doing this podcast? Well, aren't we at some kind of tipping point where films mm. are starting to show ideological ruptures? Precisely, mm. I think the films that are within ideology, mm -hmm. they're starting to show signs of uh, like tear points. Interesting. I mean, I was thinking that um, I had started to notice, certainly like the film today, things that were becoming so ideologically clear about our contemporary condition. Um, obviously, we are culturally and politically at a point of slight chaos um, in terms of where we are going and what solutions or non-solutions we're coming to to resolve that situation. And I think we both maybe, we, we met in 2016, yeah. So I think we both are of a certain perspective, which would say that certain emergence in politics and culture are symptoms of a wider system and that responses that we have seen against those certain symptoms actually are fanning the flames of those symptoms rather than resolving them. Yeah. And that we are at a point where uh, certain cultural, well, I'd say societal changes need to occur on a number of levels. Um, but as Zizek would say, you know, the, the point is to just think, don't act. So first of all, in order to, uh, we need to understand the system that we're in that has led to um, the current situation and why we think that capitalism ha is itself uh, and is inevitably resulting in a lot of kind of crazy symptoms at the moment and that a lot of the responses are also within capitalist ideology and therefore just perpetuating the problem yeah i'm not sure that film has changed mm -hmm. the format it's mm -hmm. probably the same but mm -hmm. i think the way that we're connecting to film mm. is changing and it's showing sort of tears here and there yeah and i think the same thing with capitalism yeah. or just the system that we live in that capitalism has been the same in fact you were making that point earlier mm -hmm. that people were freaking out about to the the 08 crash mm -hmm. but there's been a crash pretty much every decade yeah so capitalism is not changing but the way that we're understanding capitalism yeah. and the way that it works yeah. definitely is changing i know it's it's interesting because film is basically you know if we're talking in uh freudian or lacanian terms it's kind of within the imaginary realm mm-hmm and it is interesting that even politically, and we're talking, you know, not about the film itself. We won't, we won't be talking that much about, you know, film culture, but just actually about the works of quote unquote art. But just interestingly, in terms of your, your topic about how we're relating to film, it's interestingly how much the culture surrounding film has become so politicized, how a lot of yeah. like uh, political quote unquote activism is yeah. taking place uh, in people who are associated with film. We see it a lot in things like award shows, how certain groups of people um, take quote-unquote stands yeah. or um, certain, again, quote-unquote actions. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's interesting that it is emerging in this, uh, in this field that is, you know, we're not, I guess we're seeing it in different fields, but it's like when, you know, there, we as a society associate ourselves to the phenomenon that is film in a certain 
a very imaginary way. There's a lot of transference and projection that goes into it. Yeah. And it is interesting. I mean, I haven't really thought about why ideology is so apparent in the film medium, but, and I'll have to think about it a bit more before I give uh, yeah. some kind of stupid hot take about it, but I think yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. It's just, there's a, it used to be that, or, or I think maybe mm. activism is meant to be something that confronts comfort, that is covering over something, some mm-hmm. kind of reality mm-hmm. that is not immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. But there's something going on with the way that activism, activism is being handled now that is being it's being commodified yes absolutely and it's is, being enjoyed yeah. in a yeah. very strange sort yeah, of way so i think we're trying to go back to rather than yeah it. so we're going back to square one i guess yes thinking not acting and it's funny because there was um a brilliantly awkward uh, i don't know if it's a debate between um well, there were two separate ones actually came out in 2017 between two liberal i guess I don't know, I would call them liberal authors in England and Slavoj Žižek. And um, it was a debate between Žižek and Will Self and Žižek and this author, Harry Kunzru. And I think that's what his name is. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if it's not. Um, but I haven't read his book, so I, I'm not an expert. But, um, you know, a, a, a big bone that is picked with Žižek and his work, certainly from a liberal perspective, is, well, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about these problems? But actually, um, we would probably share the opinion that first we must understand and so we are just two insignificant people yeah. <laughs> from our um unqualified perspectives discussing and trying to understand yeah what is going on now that sounds good okay so tell me adrian who are you <laughs> well <I think laughs> what that's... a stupid question is that <laughs> who are you I have no idea who I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Well, I'm a musician and I live in in Monterey, Mexico. I have a a production company that's called Agalmata. And uh, that's basically, it's, I think it's a platonic term, Mm -hmm. uh, Agalma. Yeah, it's an ancient Greek term, right? Yeah, it means like hidden treasure, but Mm -hmm. I think for Lacan appropriated for for psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. and it means sort of like a... It, it has to do with what causes um, uh, transference. Mm-hmm. So within the company, it's like we're dealing with different artists and we're mm-hmm. trying to bring sort of alternative art that has an edge to it, mm-hmm. particularly if, you get, if it has a political edge. I mm-hmm. think that's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. But helping them get to to mm-hmm. sort of that, like for so that we can become uh, a figure of uh, transference for them. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing in this whole process of like bringing creativity to the front and mm-hmm. so that's basically it and um i used to have a band called ave i'm mm-hmm. working on a different project now and uh well actually that's part of why i'm here in la because yeah. we're working on that project yes we will be working once we have motivated ourselves to sit down and yeah. work on it yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah i'm very excited about it but yeah that's basically it that's who i am and yeah. And so have you always been of this kind of perspective? I mean, it seems like you're talking about your work and your production company, how it's focused and it has a certain drive towards it. Was there a turning point for you that you decided to um, kind of amalgamate that motivation into your productive work? No, I I haven't always been of this. I, I grew up in a very conservative household. Mm-hmm. Um 
and I went to a very very conservative university mm-hmm. ORU or or Roberts University I actually it was funny when you told me that you went there as like this is this mythic I don't want to say ridiculous but this mythic kind of place that I was like the people in today's world who actually go there yeah. No, but it's it's it's, strange, it's yeah. the strangest sort of uh, place, and yeah. um, we'll have some stories about that later. But <laughs> uh, I basically was very disillusioned. I I, mm. I went so I could study philosophy, and um, but it was within the context yeah, of know, like Christianity within that world. What yeah. is that? Well, it was like you know this is what Nietzsche said, uh-huh. this is what Pascal said, or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because the Bible says this. So it's just like it's weird. So they did actually introduce these people into the classroom, and then were like, "But no." No, I was extremely yeah. biased. So like, mm-hmm. you know, at some point we talked about like Tillich, for example. Yeah. But the only thing that the professor really said about Tillich was that he was a sexual deviant. Amazing. And then he just brushed yes. him, brushed him off like that. And uh, well, the funny thing is, is like we we are all within ideology, so that's just a bit more apparent that yeah. certain. Certain organizations are maybe a bit better at lying or being less <laughs> obvious that they have certain biases. I don't know, but that seems like a very obvious. Yeah, so I became very disillusioned with mm-hmm. uh, what I was learning from philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I decided to kind of take it into my own hands. Yeah. So actually, coincidentally, that's when I started getting into Peter's work because mm-hmm. it was within that whole realm of like mm-hmm. Christianity. But, you know, Peter's whole project is like exiting Christianity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I start, like from him. I, I I learned about Zizek mm-hmm. and then Hegel and mm-hmm. then Freud and Lacan and all these these other mm-hmm. crazy crazy guys and yeah I'm mm-hmm. doing my best to understand them but yeah. it's not a, it's not a thinking or it's not it's not yeah it's not a thinking uh, world that I'm completely familiar with I'm yeah. still learning a lot and I'm there you know yeah amazing and I guess we kind of connected through your interest in Peter's work correct yeah. yeah 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 i met peter here in la he was doing a he was doing a an event and i came up to him and i was like hey if you ever need any music <laughs> I, actually it's funny because i told him i bet you know tons of musicians yeah uh but i'm just adding myself to a list and he was like well i knew i know some musicians but none that are interested in this whole kind of radical theology yeah. thing so i was like oh i I'm knew your I, guy. Mean, I guess we do you know a lot of musicians but maybe none that are like well i know actually i lie there are some that we know that are interested in this well but not necessarily incorporating it into their very kind of work yeah and i should add that adrian is very modest he is an incredible musician incredible musician and we connected because um we were making a film and you had heard that we were making a film and so you volunteered your compositional services to us uh, yeah. and you sent this like very like overly modest email to peter saying oh it's my music da, da, da. and yeah. i yeah, I told up. Peter. I told Peter something like, "It might seem like I want to help you with your film, but really, I'm asking you to help me because I want to, I want to, I want to be a part of this whole this yeah. whole short film thing, and which is now reality. It's now reality after a while. But no, I I found your work online and was just completely blown away and yeah. knew. I don't know. It's it's funny. I was talking to another friend the other day. I feel like, um, I'm. He said these words, and I'm kind of copying him, but. Uh, at the, at the same time, a very good judge of character and also extremely naive and overtrusting. But I'm not <laughs> saying that I have a talent in that realm, but I could tell from your work that you were, even though it was kind of like a completely different tone to yeah. what we're going to use in the film. And I'm not saying that like, I just in the kind of like, not yeah, trying yeah. to sound like I 
can tell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I'm I, very I, bad at expressing myself. Well, in the but, church world, that's called yeah. discernment. And I think it's like, isn't that like one of the fruits of the spirit or something I like that? I don't know. I don't know anything Maybe. about religious But it's like things. discerning. Actually, there's yeah. a lot, it became kind of an annoying trend of people yeah. that think that they can read other people's I know, spirits. Well, and, exactly. This is where we don't want to veer off into anything that is not yeah reasonable you know, <laughs> very much against that kind of realm but anyway no 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 but i completely yeah. understand where yeah. you're coming from I, I totally get it yeah and um yeah well that that goes to we ended up working together mm -hmm. and that points to like the whole making love the short mm -hmm. film so what about you what are you what are you yes i guess it seems from? weird when the question is turned to me i who am i i yeah. don't know so I am basically a filmmaker, I would say, mostly a filmmaker. Mm. I write, I've done various other things in my past. Um, but why am I interested in this kind of realm, this kind of thought process, this kind of philosophical approach? Um, I think it actually comes from the fact that I studied languages as a young person, a younger person. Um, and also languages is how I got really into film. Um, because I'm quite lazy, I realized as a, teen as a teenager that a way to get very good at a foreign language was to just watch five movies a day, yeah. just sit there and watch movies. <laughs> so that's how I got into film. And then I studied modern languages at university. And as part of my degree, I studied in France at this place called the ENS. Um, there's various branches. I studied at the one in Lyon, but ENS is basically a school out of which most of these perspectives originally emerged. Yeah. So I just have kind of grown up academically in that world. Mm -hmm. So I just, as a lay person, after I left university, have just had a continued interest um, in reading for quote-unquote pleasure in that field. Um, I have Who's some of the people that have come out of there? We talked about Derrida. Mayasu. Yeah, I mean, it's just like all... all Everybody she's been to, who's who's, it's called Ecole Normale Supérieure, and it is just yeah, it's just where. It's Delos, like a, it's, Delos came out of there too. Yeah, it's just yeah. a it's a it's like in the way French universities are kind of like uh, organized is, um, at a certain point, um, there are certain schools that are focused on certain specialities, and ENS is kind of like the academia school you have you know engineering and economics so it's people who are going to become academics basically yeah. um and there's a science branch and an arts branch so there's very few students but people who are going to become philosophers or professors in philosophy or whatever go through that school yeah so it's just a, i mean it's just a very small thing there's a couple of branches i went to the one not in paris but in Lyon, and yeah so I just feel like I've been inculcated in that in that perspective. But your your passion is for film. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And you did you ever think about going to like that? I mean, that's that school or a similar school? No. So I was just at university um, in the UK, and my director of studies suggested that I went. And there was a time when I wanted to become an academic, and I decided against it. Um, I decided to do something else for various reasons yeah. I don't you know I, I prefer and Peter's the same I prefer to be um, making things in the public realm yeah I prefer to be I don't know if there's something like artisanal about it rather than commenting on and I maybe there's a certain like youth naivety thinking that like oh 
commenting on his pointless and I would <laughs> be more inclined now to be more interested but mm. I think also I kind of overdid it in my studies I just wanted to do something practical after yeah. just working too hard for too long and we, we will talk about millennials and work that's a whole other a topic of conversation that's quite an interesting one um mm. but yeah so Peter and I met uh kind of over a shared interest in these thinkers in a kind of continental philosophical perspective weirdly i had read a paragraph of one of his books i found one on a on a uh, bookshelf somewhere and it was a paragraph talking about nietzsche and it was a nietzsche in a kind of an interesting way and i thought oh this is quite interesting and then two years after that i met him i didn't actually read his book i just read a paragraph and then we kind of hit it off and he had um wanted to make this film that we have eventually made together so yes yeah. And I wonder if I've missed anything out of that introduction about why we're interested in these topics. I don't think so. Well, we're just naturally attracted to them. Yeah, it's, just, it's just, just potentially a yeah. personality type thing. No, only jokes. We don't like personality types. <laughs> um, okay. So should we... Should we, should we talk about... Reveal the... Reveal. I mean, the, the thing film? is, we will have titled this. Perhaps... Oh, we'll talk about it at the end. I was going to say, if you know, any anything that you're working on that you want to talk about. But we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm working on a project called Error, mm-hmm. which is a sort of tripartite uh, project that... It, it has a musical side to it, so there's going to be an album release mm-hmm. to it, and then a series of short films mm-hmm. that function also as sort of music videos. Mm-hmm. And then a written, written sort of text that come with it. Mm-hmm. So... It's those three things, and they they they're kind of holding hands. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe probably some kind of website is going to come up later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk that, that holds the whole thing, yeah. all, all three parts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's I I don't I I can't really plug it realistically. Okay. Right yes. Now exactly. No I guess like this that. actually though, just having talked about that, that was something that I was going to say earlier that I completely forgot about as to why now we are talking about this topic and why perhaps you are bringing out this um, directional kind of project as well, era. And yep. I think something that really caught our attention in the last year was the mischaracterization of continental philosophy, of um, of this perspective, throwing it out as quote-unquote cultural Marxism, which we think is actually just a conservative conspiracy theory um and actually that we need to in the public realm rescue this perspective and show i don't know especially in america but this this ideology is kind of throughout the western world that there is an answer already in existence that is somewhere different from traditional conservatism and quote-unquote liberalism yeah and this is something that we would be discussing isn't, in this podcast <laughs> yeah isn't continental philosophy sort of like the perfect answer to this whole uh kind of new agey thing of like being yourself and mm-hmm. trusting yourself and mm-hmm. uh i mean obviously also individualism mm-hmm. and all that and something that we see in well spe- specifically in the in the film that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today it's definitely very strong it has very yeah. strong themes of individualism yes. and just picking yourself up from the bootstraps and all that shit well, shall we launch into a discussion of this film? Yeah, let's do and it. And the film drumroll is... La La Land. La La Land. And yeah. we are in La La Land appropriately today. Both of us had quite a visceral reaction to this film. Sure. I would say. Yeah. 
we actually refreshed our memories and we're watching it last night and um we were kind of dumbfounded yes it's funny because i saw it at the cinema in 2017 and had not personally liked it although again we are we're talking from an ideological perspective artistically of course it is you know quite a feat and it is very quote unquote well done it looks amazing it looks amazing um i taste wise i'm not too much of a fan of the music but i'm not that much into musicals personally yeah. that's a whole different thing that's a taste thing um but so you're not into like uh singing in the rain and all that no i, no, I'm not. <laughs> I have to say i i in a former life was a was a teacher in a certain high school and uh, i took some boys on a trip to see les miserables and mm -hmm. I can't bear it. I just, I, it's, it's a Marmite thing. It's like you either like musicals or you don't. So your favorite, like, do you like that part in Monty Python when the, I think there's like a whip, the king has like a wimpy son <laughs> and he wants to like, he always wants to break into song and the father just doesn't let him. The music is about yes, to start. Yes, maybe it's something to do with being English. It's like, yeah. no, we will not express our feelings. <laughs> um, right. So, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this film. I mean, we will, we will get on our little ponies high horses about this because yeah. I mean where do we even start I feel like we need to arbitrarily well I think perhaps a good point to start is how this film kind of expresses a whole phenomenon that I feel or I don't know if it is the case but we feel I don't want to speak for you is repressed in the west Yeah. And that is that we are also within ideology. It is mm -hmm. not just um, communist China or, uh, I don't know, radical Islam or something. We are also within ideology. With the semblance of like complete freedom. With the semblance of The freedom. semblance of uh, hedonism and just mm -hmm. like complete enjoyment, but not. But, and La La Land is a film that very well expresses ideology in the west mm -hmm. do you want to um dive into a little bit of how this film expresses contemporary ideology in a kind of quite extreme way well i thought i thought it was very interesting that i don't remember almost anybody else in the film except them two mm -hmm. emma stone and ryan gosling it it almost the, the film feels very sort of like sealed against other people mm -hmm. and you know I think there's a sister there. Um, I think John Legend comes out in mm -hmm. it as well. And he, but most of the most of the the movie is just like focused on them too, and not really relying on anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and their love, their their relationship is like that as well. Yes, it's a very kind of commodified relationship, and it is nominally a love story, but it really isn't. It's about uh, work over love. Mm -hmm. success over love um throwing somebody else under the bus sure. for love um and there's something profoundly anti-capitalistic about love mm -hmm. um which doesn't come through which in, doesn't in yeah and, and, and you know almost being in love is a way to say fuck you to the utilitarian yep. commodification of everything that seems to be happening now um it's love co-opted by sort of ambition ambition yes Should we talk about, I mean, this is, this film is kind of made by a very prodigal, kind of the prodigal son of Hollywood now. 
And he's a very talented director and almost part of the reason why I'm kind of so disturbed by the film is it's so artistically brilliant that it delivers um, this kind of quite horrible message and very damaging message within a perfectly baked cake. And almost in order to be so within the Hollywood system, and there's nothing wrong with the Hollywood system in and of itself, one has to be so embedded in ideology. Do you think that it would be so well concealed, the sort of individualistic, uh, neoliberal mm-hmm. sort of personalities that these guys have, if it wasn't in L.A.? Because isn't L.A.? Well, L.A. is the is kind of, especially these days, the pinnacle of kind of neoliberal fantasy. Yeah. And the irony is it's kind of like a wasteland with nothing in it. <laughs> I kind of love it for that. It's just a complete shithole, but mm-hmm. an amazingly crap place that is just but it does have some beautiful parts and mm-hmm. i mean just like the colors that are in, in the and movie the sky, i think it's a i think it's a pretty good representation i mean obviously mm-hmm. it's sort of like a it's a magical i think representation of la yeah but it's also not completely unrealistic and yeah i mean la is the way it is because of fantasy and the fantasy is that you can be famous and that you can be the chosen one and liked by everybody uh, but which it seems to be the motivation yeah. of the of the lead character in the film. And I think it's this like it's this sort of semblance of freedom that we're talking mm-hmm. about that really underneath it's com- complete servitude to yeah. your work and Yeah, so I feel like fa- fantasy. I don't know how, our audience might be well versed in the idea of fantasy and the idea of the lost object. Mm-hmm. Um but this is this film is kind of a celebration of the pursuit of the lost object and the lost object for the main character Mia is quote unquote becoming a famous actress Um, and I feel like this is the the most important scene for me is the scene where Seb is playing in his jazz club at the beginning of the film as kind of a a pianist for hire and he has to play jingle bells etc 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 the film seems to be saying that all the people who are the norms who are visiting this restaurant and just want to hear this shitty music are the zombies. Mm. And that he, because he is pursuing his dream, is the kind of artistic rebel of the system. But I would argue that he is the zombie and the people who have managed to find enjoyment in the normality of life are the people who are free. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So a zombie, if we look at something like The Walking Dead, are people who pursue and pursue and pursue through drive rather than desire an end that eventually kills them. So they are sacrificing themselves for a goal. Yeah. Because they believe as kind of we all structurally believe as human. I mean, there are lots of givens that we're talking mm-hmm. about now. So we will gradually break this down um, throughout this podcast. Um so to be human is kind of to orientate yourself in Lacanian terms around the lost object, which is kind of something that we believe will return us to this realm of feeling whole and complete, yeah. kind of before language, sure. our mother's womb. But kind of the cure of psychoanalysis is to realize that that lost object doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So this film is kind of a celebration of the pursuit of this lost object which in and of itself is fine you know Lacan says do not give way in terms of your desire so you know both pursuing the goal and not pursuing the goal is fine but it's kind of the texture of the pursuit 
But the film is kind of seems to be saying that there is a lost object and it will make you happy and you are destined to achieve it. Yeah. And that is basically what capitalism is. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it connects with another part of the film that I thought was very, it spoke to me a lot, mm -hmm. or at least it, I think it, I saw it as these, this kind of rupture that, mm -hmm. that we're talking about. And it's this sort of like a surreal sequence where mm -hmm. they go to the observatory. Yes. And yes. the ceiling becomes sort of like uh, the, the universe, universe and they mm -hmm. start floating. And mm -hmm. like, I think it's sort of perverse that arguably it's the part of the film where they realize that they're in love yes yeah, i think that like at least it's like the strongest expression mm -hmm. of like them just like falling in love mm -hmm. because obviously they like each other mm -hmm. up to that point but mm -hmm. i think maybe that's maybe it's a time i don't remember if it's the first time that they kiss or whatever but um it's interesting that what makes them fall in love is just feeling alone in the universe yeah and it's interesting because the word universe has been co-opted by a lot of kind of new age religions to mean kind of the oneness yeah the universe i mean from from a from a scientific perspective the universe is this kind of chaotic nothingness mm -hmm. but for some reason in terms of it has been it, it has it has this kind of for, for a lot of people the universe wills me to do this or the universe yeah. is telling me to do this as if we've certain you know perspectives have replaced the word god with universe mm -hmm. And it's like they are they are these individual beings in the universe and the universe has a rate the stars have arranged for them to be together. Yeah. Yeah, there's something very yeah, disturbing about that in that the there the universe isn't looking after you. Yeah. There is no answer. There is no meant to be, there's no magical force. And the it is the kind of belief in those things that allows us to perpetuate this very unfair system that yeah. is at a point um that needs redressing yeah. yeah and i think that that they're sort of like their character mm -hmm. the way that they act with other people it really does feel like that like yeah, if they're yeah, right. like if they're hermetically sealed from the rest of the mm -hmm. people that come out um yeah, and i think that with uh, one of the things that we were saying at the beginning is that they're not very nice they're not very nice people like the characters and again there's, there's nothing wrong with being an asshole mm -hmm. there's nothing ideologically wrong but you're completely right about the idea of there's the only other characters in this film are hollow beings that are just getting in these characters exactly way. i mean there's a, there's a point that slavoji made recently about um certain uh political um perspectives that have emerged under the name of um, activism recently that are an excuse for bad behavior. And there's a lot of ways that um, we can see this in various aspects of pop culture. It's kind of owning your assholery and you kind of can get away with being horrible. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where, and again, it's like there's nothing wrong with being horrible in and of itself, but it's, it's, it's kind of a textural thing in terms of what the underlying ideological underpinnings of this film are mm -hmm. and this girl has a boyfriend who has invited her out for dinner and she's forgotten and then spends the whole time kind of these people are talking about their normal lives as business people as if they are the baddies as if they are the zombies participating in the system when she is the zombie who is so emotionally driven to be the pinnacle of what our 
um, imaginary fantasy is yeah. in capitalism, which is this kind of chosen person who appears to be outside of the system but is within the system so much itself, this famous person, that she just leaves or just considers herself to be above all these other people. And it's interesting also that it happens in the point in the movie where Ryan Gosling sort of decides that he might let go mm -hmm. of his ambition, yeah, his ambition yeah, in order to... like because he, So he overhears a conversation that Emma Stone is having mm -hmm. with his mom. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like disappointing. It's yeah. maybe a little bit embarrassing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, he doesn't. He doesn't have a. Uh, mm -hmm. He doesn't have like a like a steady gig, yeah. and you know he's he's working looking for work or whatever. So he hears that, and he cares mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. to start a steady gig that mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily like, mm -hmm. but he does it for her. Mm -hmm. And that. I that mean, that's kind of, less that encourages her to leave him. Yeah. 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 yeah, I know, which is, which is true. She's so imbued with this belief that there's something that she's supposed to do, some dream she's supposed to achieve that will make everything all right and will make her happy. Yeah. That, I mean, funnily enough, I'm not sure if this is intentional or not, but when she has achieved it at the end of the film, she doesn't seem that happy. No. Well, Although she has the job. She has it. She's... she's she, I mean, Seb does say at one stage, you just want to be liked. And she does go into her old job and has the satisfaction of being served and given free coffee. And everybody is amazed by who she is. She just seems like a strange motivation. Yeah. And she has, like, she ends up in a relationship that is less hot and heavy, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like completely kind of normal. I mean, who knows? You can see very little of mm -hmm. the relationship. But it seems maybe like if the husband is also just completely servile to mm -hmm. like her uh, like for example at the end she's the one that decides like if they want to if yeah, they leave the true. club and everything and so i think that she found someone that was completely like supporting like yeah, her, of her like ambitions. her drive for ambition yeah yeah no absolutely um there's one other thing that i was going to say about this film that i had on the tip of my tongue <laughs> Maybe I won't remember it. Maybe I will. But, oh, yes, it was, I mean, this is less of an ideological thing, but I feel it's emblematic as well, is if you are so in love, one film project <laughs> is not going to be the end. There are things called Skype. I mean, that's that, that's kind of a, a logical thing rather than an yeah. ideological thing. But I guess it's just emblematic of the th fact that, you know, this this person wants fame over over enjoyment. Yeah. Do you think uh, why why is it that the story I think resonated so much with because it won an Oscar, right? Or it did. what she did, and then oh, oh, there the was director the whole thing of the, of it, it won Best Picture, but it didn't. Because oh, that's Moonlight true. Won, yes, but Damien Chazelle did win Best Director. Yeah, I mean, I think Oscars are an interesting thing to go by, um, in that there's a lot of, I mean, power plays, a lot of uh, money involved. There's a lot of campaigning, so I'm not sure that it represents at all what a best film is mm -hmm. and it's certainly you know from a, from an artistic um achievement perspective it, it's very very good like, mm -hmm. that could be argued with and he's a very very good director and he's a very good writer um but it potentially i mean resonate with a lot of people as well because we are all in ideology you know and, mm -hmm. and the idea that you as a normal person like this normal the character seems to be deliberately very normal the main character she's a very normal girl um in terms of casting 
And it's kind of a trick that uh, capitalism has pulled that we we now, you know, we used to um, see actresses and actors as kind of demigods, as kind of the equivalent of an American royal family. These were people who you were never going to be, but, you know, for this moment of escape, you watch this projection of a certain reality. But now there's this kind of desire to have ourselves reflected back to us on screen, which I think is not necessarily a good thing because it's kind of telling us that we also can be plucked from obscurity. We also can be this normal person who is in a modeling campaign, who is a famous actor or actress. And it's kind of living, continuing, perpetuating this lie of capitalism, this lie of meritocracy and this lie of um, the American dream that it could be you. And I feel like in order for things to change, we have to realize that, you know, it, it might one in a billion be me, but yeah. it won't. Yeah, and I mm. think that we're not necessarily saying that you can't be in a relationship that is that is true in love mm-hmm. and not also have a career, mm-hmm. but there is something sort of, uh, there's something about love, the true love that ends up corrupting mm-hmm. your, your life momentarily. And it makes you question what you're doing with your life mm-hmm. it can it technically kind of ruins your life yeah, it does yes and absolutely no you can't point, think you can't sleep you can't work exactly and at yeah. no point did their love disrupt their lives yes. or especially i think hers because i think at some point you know what we talked about that he kind of decided to take this gig that he didn't really like but at no point did she seem disturbed by the love no no you're uh, right it, it didn't it it wasn't kind of Peter's quite an interesting view of love of it's like kind of it's not a thing but it's not it's not it's an it's a no thing that illuminates everything yeah it's a it's a sudden kind of rupture where everything is different but nothing's different mm-hmm. um and I think you're right um and isn't I mean so I think Badu has made this point mm-hmm. of like the of dating apps and all this stuff mm-hmm. like it's love without the fall you remember that well yeah I, I mean we could we could I, and funnily enough we are talking about a love story so i feel like this is a whole other pandora's box that we could go into about um love and relationships in the 21st century sex all these things that have um i mean yes where do we start 68 i mean i'll just say i'll just say what with, i'll just yeah. say what what but you meant by yeah. that so he's talking about like tinder for example mm-hmm. that you can mm-hmm. swipe and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you swipe uh simultaneously or or mm. no what's the word um oh if, yeah sorry if you but you has this thing that if it, with like tinder and all mm-hmm. that if you swipe mutually mm-hmm. positively mm-hmm. like you can sleep together and mm-hmm. it's sort of like these like one night stands mm-hmm. and something might come off of it but it really is not like falling in love and it yeah, doesn't not, it no. doesn't hurt you yeah. and it doesn't disrupt your your common life yeah. Your, yeah. and um i know it's funny but there's a line that we actually took out of making love about the idea of falling in love it's you know it's painful and it's why it's called falling in love yeah it's uh, a huge amount of risk and yeah well, there's potentially no reward without the fall yeah um i mean we could talk a lot about potentially gender roles and cetera in terms of risk and how um yeah, there's a lot of I've, confusion about these things now and uh, a certain kind of, um, we've had a, 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 we've logically emerged at this point how um, no risk, the, we, it, you, 
sex and dating and love has become a no risk zone and then the, the everything is possible everything is permitted until it's not and it's kind of the border of the self it's mm-hmm. the only no that exists now is do you want to have sex with me yes or no you know sure. that's kind of the limit well it's a very strange time we have commodified ourselves on apps we kind of present ourselves in a very marketed way yeah i mean it's a it's a whole it's a whole discussion yeah um but you're absolutely right that there's no is there, there's there's no real falling in love there's no real pain associated with this relationship there's no it's funny because we were talking about it yesterday in terms of you know the mechanics of writing a love story and all stories have to have conflict and how do you get conflict into a love story it's quite a difficult thing to do and they do have conflict in the story and it's them being horrible to each other at the beginning yeah but there's no real conflict in love itself love is messy and painful and dangerous and horrible yeah. and amazing at the same time mm-hmm. but it's not really a love story it's now i'd put it more in a category of a star is born it's a fame story you know? it's a fame story yeah absolutely yeah. i don't think that it would have i mean based on what we know of the character it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it hurt it it would hurt as much to mm-hmm. lose him mm-hmm. as much as her career mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. i think that if she would have lost her career i mean she yeah. would have had a breakdown or something yeah um it's interesting you raised a point about um having a relationship and a family and a career um and it is interesting you know uh, we talking about the the spread of capitalism to every single realm that you know there's potentially something profoundly capitalistic about being a woman saying no to all of that (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i mean i'm as somebody who loves working yeah um but but i've had i've had moments in my life where life I'm sorry i've had moments in my life where love sort of incapacitates me from mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. yeah absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that that definitely does happen sometimes where you just feel you, you feel like you can't really do yeah, anything absolutely uh, our character main character making love yeah can't sleep doesn't get pleasure from work anymore doesn't get pleasure from life anymore. <laughs> food doesn't have any taste <laughs> or i remember that yeah, yeah yeah so no absolutely and I think, yeah, and we can maybe conclusively say that it isn't a love story in yeah. the traditional term. I think that would probably be the, the main point, that it's yeah. not a love story, but it presents itself as such. It represents itself as such, and it is a, it's a story of success. Mm-hmm. It's about um, being famous. Yeah. And what is being famous? And why is being famous so important to us at this time? And why has... You know, it's a film about Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And why has film, you know, a film about film, and why has film taken on this um, real charge yeah. in the world we live in? I, I think don't it's, have the answer to that. But. I, I think it has to do with the sort of met- metonymic relationship mm-hmm. that we now have to, to capitalism. Mm-hmm. And it's that we don't necessarily... G- relate to things directly it has Mm -hmm. to be through something else and like we we're not relating to love directly we relate to it through through our careers and our ambition and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. i think that yeah it it has the same that same thing of like the semblance of of freedom it has a Mm -hmm. semblance of love but really Mm -hmm. it's about something else and i think this is something we're going to talk about a lot over um the course of these podcasts is semblance um there's a lot of things today in 2019 that are masquerading 
as things that they are not. Um, and I think, you know, that it is a real, it's a real problem in capitalism. Capitalism, the, the, you know, the, the greatest trick the devil pulled was to um, make as if it didn't exist. And it's almost the ideology of capitalism is the greatest trick it ever pulled is to convince us that we aren't within its ideology. Yeah. That we are free. Yeah. And almost, yeah, the things that it promotes us to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, capitalism sort of puts forward this idea that it's 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 the obvious answer mm-hmm. or it's the obvious ground through which we exist. Or and it is, you know, it's natural. And it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah. It is what happens when there isn't ideology. Oh, there's communism over there. And then, oh, we live in a world where... We don't have ideology and therefore capitalism has emerged. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, we'll, we'll go deeper into that maybe in other podcasts. And I'll just add one more thing. I think it seems like perverse that it, it shows the relationship as impossible. Mm-hmm. And it almost makes you feel like if you accept their breakup together mm-hmm. with them, Mm-hmm. because and you think that oh it's you know the, the couple was incompatible mm-hmm. or whatever and i don't think that that's necessarily true i think that it's because of the because of the, she was completely possessed by mm-hmm. the whole idea of like furthering her career mm-hmm. that's why their relationship didn't work yeah and i think you you know there's, there's the, the passage at the end that maybe i have a stone cold heart but it seems like it's supposed to evoke a real tragedy and you know, love, love stories are about potential and um, a lot of films, love story films that are tragic. I mean, something like Call Me By Your Name. I personally cried for about 45 minutes at the end of that because it is the the wasted potential, yeah. you know, and it, this relationship that they could have had if um, at that given time things were different. Yeah. Um, a Star Is Born. I know a lot of people don't like A Star Is Born, but I personally watched it the cinema four times because I felt like it was a way that I could project certain of my own issues and have a good cry um, on somebody else's behalf. Yeah. But the tragedy of that impossible relationship, um, you know, that there's a montage at the end as she's singing her final kind of memorial song that he wrote after he killed himself of, you know, what could have been. But I felt nothing in La La Land, you know, the, yep. the, the, the passage of the what could have been, the imaginary what could have been. Yeah, it Because doesn't they do just that. don't, they don't, it's it's like cheap champagne. They don't, there's, yep. there's no fizz to it. That's, I think that's where it shows its ideology most, mm-hmm. most clearly. And yeah. it, it shows as if the relationship is obviously impossible. But yeah, and it, you know, the kind of, if only things had been different. Mm-hmm. But even if things were different, I feel like structurally it was never going to work out because yeah. they weren't in love. Yeah. Or she wasn't in love with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there we go. We made it to the end of this first podcast. It's potentially a little bit waffly. Yeah, but that's of what course. podcasts are for. And that's why it has to be the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I've had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Okay. Do we press? Do we press stop? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.